For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except that what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I'm going to pray for Sully and then we're going to, um, yeah, hear about that. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather tonight and we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray as we listen to Sully that um, you will help him speak clearly and truthfully. And God, please help us to hear what he's saying. Help us to concentrate and help us to understand what you want us um, to hear from you. Amen. Alrighty. How we doing, guys? Oh, I'm well, thanks. Um, so today I was chatting to my mate, Will. Now, Will's always at the beach, loves a quick dip, loves the ocean, loves laying on the sand. So I asked him the other day, I said, Will, what are you most afraid of at the beach? So he did a bit of thinking and he told me, look, you know, the jellies, the jellyfish, they're pretty stingy. And, you know, stingrays, they kill Steve Aarons, they're pretty dangerous. And then, you know, you can get held underwater by mad riptides and by the waves crashing, they can be deadly. But probably the top of my list would be shark boys. I'm most afraid of sharks at the beach. So you know what I said to Will? You, sir, are an ignorant fool. Forget about sharks. You need to be afraid of these boys coming up. Right now, Jeff, I've got it. Those boys. That's right. Killer cars. I'm warning you, Will. You only need to look back two years in Australia's history. How many people were killed by sharks two years ago? Just one. Might have taken a nibble out a few more, but just one. Will, you need to be afraid of cars. Cars killed 160 pedestrians. Pedestrians. People just walking around, minding their own business. 160 people. Cars are bloodthirsty. Will monsters. Whatever you do, Will, stay out of the car park. (laughs) Cars are the most deadly thing at the beach. But we think we're safest when we're, not in the, when we're not in the water. How silly are we and how silly is my mate Will? But here's the thing. 
we might laugh at the real danger of cars at the beach, but we need to make sure we don't laugh at the real dangers that face us every day living as God's people. This passage tonight shows us clear examples from the past that there's real danger for us, dangers that could cost us everything, and we could be completely oblivious to these things, things we can foolish, be foolish for not seeing. You see, you could be thinking right now, everything's all good and rosy with your relationship with God, but tonight you might realise it's the exact opposite. This is going to be a really helpful reality check for us all to look at the Bible tonight. And if you're already, you're already thinking, considering yourself, look, I'm, I'm not part of God's people, I'm not a Christian, I don't need to hear this, well, we're going to hear a warning for you guys tonight of what it actually looks like to live outside the love of God. So no matter who you are, don't be an ignorant fool. Hear the warnings in the passage here tonight. But before we get into it, I'm going to ask God again to help us uh, get into this. So let's pray quickly. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word and we pray that uh, as we look at uh, these events, we pray that we would hear the warning in them. Uh, Please help us to see what it means to live as your people and we pray that we might be able to change our lives and change who we are so we might please you and honour you. Help us do that tonight. Amen. All right, so the first real warning we need to hear is, first, living amongst God's people won't save you. Living amongst God's people won't save you. What I mean by this is just coming along to EV Youth, being amongst Christian people, ticking the boxes of Christian-y stuff, that that stuff doesn't save you from God's judgment. You know how I know this? We get a clear example from history that says so. If you've got your Bibles open, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that's where we're going to be. And Paul's going to give us an account of events that happened about 1,400 years earlier than the Corinthians. But we will realize tonight how relevant they are to us today. So read the first couple of verses with me. Verse 10, oh sorry, chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So Paul is referencing some history, a key period of time in Israel history, so he can show us something. Now, check your eyes to the screen. I'm going to show you what's going on in a few pictures. So so Paul is taking us back to a time in the Bible called the Exodus, where God was the saviour of his people, Israel. Now, he he brings them out of slavery in Egypt through the sea by this guy called Moses, you can see standing there. It was a crazy moment where Moses parted the sea and they walked through the middle on dry land. That's what he's talking about in verses 1 and 2. And that event, walking through the water, it was a little bit like a Christian baptism in that In them doing this, it marked this group of people out as God's people. They emerged out of the sea as God's special people. If we hit frame two, we're going to get to the next couple of verses. And it was then that these guys are out in the desert and God is sustaining them, even in the desert. With no food and no water, God sustained Israel by raining down this bread from heaven. So they had something to eat. And in frame three, uh, verse four, we see that, Um, He also would provide, when they were thirsty, water. Moses would just hit a rock and water would flow out. Throughout all this time, it was God that was with them and was saving them. God that accompanied them and God that sustained them while they're in the desert. Sounds like God must be really happy and pleased with these special people, right? Right? 
Right? Wrong. Look at verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So even though this group of people was God's special people, even though they got saved from Egypt and were fed directly from God's hand, most of them were judged by God. God willed that they would die out there in the wilderness. It says in there, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Heavy story, yeah? But do you see what Paul is showing us? He's showing us that there's more to living as God's people than just being amongst his people. Living amongst God's people doesn't save you. Looking like God's people and ticking the Christian boxes, that doesn't matter much. For us, I reckon that, looks like, that tick boxing looks like not swearing, not stealing, trying to be better than most people. We go to youth, we go to church. We must be sweet with God, right? Well, Paul warns us with the events of history, no, that's not the case. Living amongst God's community doesn't save you, although it is extremely helpful. So I want you to think about being in God's, God's community is more like a skateboard helmet. Now, I couldn't find a skateboard helmet. I could only find a bike helmet. But imagine that's a skateboard helmet for a moment. Being in God's community is like a skateboard helmet. Because when you put it on, it will help protect you from getting hurt, but it doesn't guarantee you'll be safe. Because if, next slide, if you try and jump a massive gorge on your skateboard, just because you're wearing a stack hat doesn't mean you're not going to die when you go over a cliff. So this tells us, guys, there's more to staying safe than just wearing a helmet. And in the same way, there's more to avoiding the, the judgment of God than just making sure you're hanging out with the Jesus team. That's the first big warning for us. Living amongst God's people won't save us. And at this point, you might be asking, so what was it the Israelites were doing that got such terrible judgment from God? Well, that's our second warning tonight. Living two lives brings the judgment of God. Meaning, we can't one moment say we're God's people and then in another live a completely different way. Again, we get a history lesson to show us how we can fall into this same trap as Israel. So take a look at verse 6 in your Bibles. It says, Now these things occurred, and that's the historical events we just covered. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So we're starting to understand what might be going on, um, the, why these guys were punished so harshly. Although they were God's people and were meant to be devoted to Him and His good ways, their hearts chase after other things. And we're warned what sort of things they were chasing after in verse 7. Take a look. Paul warns us, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and get up to indulge in revelry. Now, I want you to look up at the screen again for a bit more history. So what he's, Paul's referring to is a, a time just, um, just after they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. These guys were so quick to forget God saved them. Their leader, Moses, left them for just a moment. And when he came back, they literally made a golden statue to worship instead of God a physical idol. They even had a bit of a festival of food and drink. And get this, they celebrated how this golden statue saved them from Egypt. What would you be like if you were God and your people turned away from you that quickly? For a statue. You can start to see why he judged them so harshly, yeah? But there's more in verse 8. Take a look. We're warned as well. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. 
And in one day, 23,000 of them died. So again, if we look at frame two, this is talking about a moment when the men of Israel, they were sleeping around with foreign women. It wasn't good. And even worse, they were getting into all kind of, kinds of idol worship, just like they were before. They were feasting and sacrificing to foreign people's false gods. They were worshipping other gods instead of the one true God. And we, look in, we, we learn in verse 8, that attracted the punishment of a plague that in one day killed 23,000 people. But Israel's hearts still have more disobedience to go. Have a look at verse 9 and verse 10. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So this is talking about two different moments, but they're similar, where God again brought down big, heavy punishments. The verse 9 is referencing a time when the people of Israel, they tested God in second-guessing his decisions to bring them out of slavery. Can you believe it? They didn't trust their mighty God, so snakes were set upon them. So they would learn to trust him. And you know what? They started trusting him. They pleaded to him for forgiveness, but God being faithful made a way for them to be forgiven and saved from the snakes. And in verse 10, we pretty much get the same thing happening again, where Israel doubted the goodness of God and his good plan for them, and again, death followed their disobedience. Are you getting the big picture, guys? This group of people were meant to be God's people, devoted and faithful to him in word and in action, but instead their hearts were drawn to food, festivals, sex and worship of other things instead of God. It seems many of Israel's people were God's people by name only, when really their lives were far from faithful to him. They didn't really love God. Otherwise, they would have lived a life only for God and not this double life that they're living. Instead, they loved other things and were running their own lives. Guys, we need to be careful. We are not God's people by name only. Now, I'm not sure if you know this about me, guys. I'm going to get personal here for a second here. But I'm actually a gym member. It's a true story. That's right. I'm a gym member. True story. And um, I even got the little gym swipey tag thing and everything. So you'd expect me to be really fit, yeah? Like scary strong. Like I could, I could lift two little Johns above my head with no problems, one in each hand, yeah? Well, the truth is, I'm a gym member by title only. Because really, I very rarely go to the gym and rarely live the way the title suggests. Here's the thing. Many of us can be guilty of living the same in our Christian lives. We might come to youth and think of ourselves as Christians, but our lives tell a different story. Instead, our lives are filled with chasing after what our heart wants, not what God wants. That is a double life. And this is what was at the heart of every disobedient thing the Israelites did. They didn't trust God's plan for their lives and followed their own. They didn't appreciate what he'd done for them. Instead, their hearts put other things as priority one instead in the place of God. And they weren't willing to sacrifice these things for the sake of God. Friends, if there's anything you aren't willing to sacrifice, even though God would want you to, you need to get rid of it. That thing is coming between you and God. Your heart is choosing that thing over God. Whatever it is, don't let it come between you. God is the Savior that has promised all things. So guys, I want to encourage you, take some steps tonight to put the, the, whatever these things might be aside and ask for forgiveness. And don't just give half of your heart or half of your life to God. 
Give your whole life that he demands. Friends, we can't be living two lives as Christians, serving God and another thing. Because living two lives brings the judgment of God. But I reckon we can so easily fall into this trap. Now, I want you to think for me, with me for a second. Is there something in your life that when you think about it right now, you feel like you're putting that thing before God? Something that you feel is between you and God and is holding your relationship back. It might be a way that you're acting differently. Maybe you're acting a double life, one way here and one way somewhere else. Just remember that God sees everything. So if you have something between you and God, then do something about it tonight. One of the the things might be your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe they aren't a Christian, so already there's a big problem there. But when you find that you're act, you act in two different, you're two different per- people in different situations. When you're at youth, you're chill, you're acting like a Christian, you're doing all the right things. But when you're alone with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you act completely different. You push the physical boundaries. Or maybe even the way you act is just completely different to your Christian identity. Now maybe you do have a Christian boyfriend or girlfriend, but you're still having the same problems. Whatever the case is, I want to encourage you to do something about it. Maybe have a conversation with that person if they're here tonight so things can change. Maybe you need to actually have the hard conversation about maybe breaking up, particularly if they aren't a Christian, because putting an end to your double life is more important. But maybe this isn't you. Maybe you're single. Maybe you don't have any of these issues. But maybe your double life looks different. It looks like like you're two different people when you're at youth compared to when you're at school. Or maybe at parties on the weekend. At youth, there's no swearing. You're not gossiping. You're not paying anyone out. You're certainly not drinking. And you're not chasing popularity or relationships. But when you go to school, when you're at a party on the weekend, you go so hard after those things, just like everybody else. If you live like a Christian in one place and not another, then you're living a double life. We need to change that. Maybe the way that you can change that is you need to start spending time with some different people. Maybe there's some Christian mates at school that you can hang out with a little bit more and that can hold you accountable to this life. Uh, can your G-team help out? If you're not in a G-team, really want to encourage you to be in one for the big reason of you get to brush shoulders and be amongst a group of people on about working hard to live for God as well. They can help you do that. You might even need to go as far as hanging out with Christians in different grades if you're in a school where there's not many Christians Whatever you do, you want to put an end to living a double life whatever way you can. It's worth it. And if you're completely lost about what to do in this situation, I encourage you maybe talk to one of your leaders tonight. They can be really helpful in these sort of things, working out the practicalities of how you can stop living a double life. And they're here every week just to have a chat with you. So make sure you chat to your leaders afterwards. But remember, in all this hard work and sacrifice that putting to death this stuff might be, To live a life for God is actually to free yourself from the burden of guilt, to live the life you're made for. Making these changes in your life is so worth it. So think about it. Living a life for God who loves you, calls you his own, and wants to reward his people with an inheritance so good, it pales in significance to any sacrifice you'll make in this life. It's so worth it. But I want to finish tonight with the hope and comfort we have in all this. So uh, move down to verse 13 for some encouragement. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you 
accept what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Guys, in these verses, we learn that God is in the business... So, sorry, in these verses we learn that in this business of temptation, sin and double lives, God is for us and He's in control. He listens to us in our time of need. He will not tempt us beyond what we can bear, although that doesn't mean no hard times are going to come by us. He does actually place us in hard times to grow us, to make us more reliant on Him as we always should be. But in all that, He is our comfort and He helps us to endure the hard times. This means, guys, we need to be praying. We need to pray for protection because temptation is always around the corner. For forgiveness because even the best of us stuff up daily. We need to pray that, we can, that He can help us to rid our lives of the things that get between us and God. And we need to come to God for comfort when we're hurting. All these things we can do and should do because although temptation is great, we have an even greater faithful God. A God who loves us even when we're broken, even when we fall short. He wants to build us up to be people of love and faithfulness, just like Him. So let's ask Him for some of these things right now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, so much that You've given us um, a community of people here. But help us to not be blind to the fact that sin and temptation is always around the corner. So please, would You protect us? Would you help us to not be living double lives, but putting sin to death in every area of our lives? I pray that you might help us to be um, diligent in the way we think about living as Christians in every, in every area of life, showing people who you are. And I would just pray that uh, you would help us in our times of need and comfort. Remind us that we can come to you for forgiveness, because in Jesus, forgiveness has been secured. So we pray that we might come to you tonight if we've got things we need to be, we need to ask forgiveness for and that you would forgive us. But um, Lord, would you help us to stand firm, to be awake, to see the temptations when they come and put them to death so we can live a life not just paying you lip service but being truly people of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.